We're in the book of 1 John. Not a wonderful Mother's Day type of a passage. Matter of fact, we're talking about the love of the Father today, not the love of the mother. We're talking about loving God the Father that gives you surety. And moms, I hope you know you're loved. It is a good thing we're talking about love because moms, you are leading the way in love in our lives. But our big idea this morning, what's the big idea? Your love of the Father gives you surety. Your love of the Father gives you surety. Now, uh, this is not saying that if you love God, you go to heaven. This is saying those that are saved, those who've got, become a new creation, their love is in God the Father. And there's no competing love. There's no idols that defy that. Do you love God? That's why we're going to look at 1 John 2, 15 through 17, and then in chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. And as you're finding those passages, I want to give you this quote from Martin Luther, who said, love for God grows only in the assurance of the love of God. This morning, I want to make sure you know that you are loved. Hopefully you have a mom that loved you and you've reached out and sent cards and flowers and Wojo's gift cards, whatever it might be. I hope you're showing some love back to the mom who loved you this morning. But you need to know that you're loved by God and you can count on that. You can be sure that God loves you. And because of that, we can grow in our love for God. So let's get to the passage this morning. And the key verse, it's the first verse of the passage we're looking at. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. This morning, I find it really interesting that I come to you with Hebrews and say, on the looks of things, this sounds like it's saying you've got to meet in church, in a pew, in order to have church. You got to go deeper than the face value. And it's great because it leads right into this talk because John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Well, on face value, you could get this very wrong. Matter of fact, most people would take a look at the entirety of John's writing and think he's schizophrenic. How could he say in 1 John, do not love the world, when in John 3, 16, he says, for God so loved the world. Obviously, we need to understand and define what the word world means in this passage. What does world mean in John three sixteen? Well, we'll explain all of that to you today. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Let me tell you what this does not mean. How do we define world in this passage, 1 John? Well, number one, it's not the created order. It's not creation. It's, it's, when we see the term world here, it's not talking about creation. It's not saying you should hate what God made. Turn your back upon the mountain. Never look at the sunrise or the sunset. Don't enjoy a, a, a lake vista. That's not what it's saying. Many of you love the world when it comes to creation. I do. I love God's created world. John 1, uh, Genesis, Genesis 1, 31. God saw that all that he had made and it was very good. Obviously, John is not saying don't love creation and all that it has to offer. Enjoy God's creation. Some people say they connect better with God when they're in his creation. So let us enjoy what God has made. By all means, take a vacation. Sit by a lake with your toes in the water. Go to the ocean and lick up that salt water and see the beauty that God has made. So we can definitely say creation here is not what John is talking about when he says do not love the world. Another thing he's not talking about is culture. I think this is where the church has gotten it wrong in the past 
that obviously what John's saying here is we cannot be involved in anything of our culture. Let me tell you, that's not what John is talking about. In Luke 7, 34, it says, the Son of Man, Jesus, he came eating and drinking. And you say here he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Friends, you need to know that when Jesus came, he came into culture. He entered into culture. Friends, I believe that Jesus wore the clothes of that day. I believe he had his hair in the culture of that day. I believe he had a beard because the Bible said they yanked it out in pieces. A beard that was culture of that day. He came and he ate and he drank. He enjoyed life. He enjoyed the good things of God's creation. Friends, please don't think that what John is saying is the world here is anything of our culture. Oh, there's nothing like having a great big steak. I love going to Lucky Steakhouse up in Davison. I'm not getting a kickback, but maybe I should. Lucky Steakhouse in Davison, and I order the prime time. Oh, prime time is a big, thick cut of prime rib, and it's smothered in cheese and mushrooms and all sorts of goodness, and a baked potato the, the, the size of two of my fists. And when I get that steak and those potatoes and that salad and the bread they bring, oh, praise the Lord. I've never been so close to Jesus as when I'm eating that steak and enjoying it. And I, and I think of Jesus, and he came and he enjoyed food fellowship, wine. <laughs> oh, I, I know that the uh, real deep conservatives hate the fact that Jesus came and he ate and drank and he also turned water into wine and we want to just ignore what happened there. But the fact is that Jesus came in culture and he did the things that were in that culture. Oh, the church has struggled with this. They've used John saying, do not love the world. And they've said that means dress. You can't dress in the style of today. Oh, we've got to, boys got to wear ties. They got to have short hair, no beards, no tattoos. That's probably why I've broken all of those. Except for the hair part. I just can't, even in COVID, it won't grow like I wish it would. This is the greatest time in the world for us rebels. As pastors, we want our hair to grow. I need the mullet back, but it just won't grow where I want it to grow. But I love having the beard. I remember being in college at a Christian university and the big topic was the beards. Men can't have beards, but you know what? All the professors wanted to look like Spurgeon. And so they made a rule that the professors could have long beards, but the pastors and the churches better not and the people better not either. Oh, the rules we come up with. Culture, culture. Let me ask you, what's more what looks more like our culture than wearing a three-piece suit and driving up in your Cadillac to the church? What, what looks more like the world? I'm telling you this morning, Jesus came in his culture. And I talk about guys because I, I grew up as a guy in a conservative Christian culture. But what about the poor girls? All oh, the girls had to wear the denim jumper and culottes. Oh, anything was of the devil. It had to be the culotte. Poor girls. I mean, there were girls that would have been expelled from school because their swimming suit got a hole in the knee. Oh, Lord, help us. If you didn't get that, you didn't grow up like I did. So you need to know that Jesus came in culture is what I'm trying to say. That doesn't mean we take everything that culture has to offer. And I'll get to that in a little bit when we talk about what John does mean. But he does not mean you cannot be part of God's creation. He doesn't mean you can't partake in the culture. Music was a big issue. I grew up in the day when... People were talking about the evil beat, syncopation. It was the devil's beat. And all of our music, we couldn't have syncopation. 
which is funny because Christopher's here and Christopher Card, you'd probably say there is no music without syncopation. Syncopation is rhythm. You've got to have some rhythm. Oh, but we had the devil's beat. We had music, Christian contemporary music, and that was just putting godly words to the devil's beat. That's like putting a T-bone steak on manure. Oh, if somebody said amen right there, you're not understanding what I'm trying to preach. That was just foolishness, foolishness. Oh, Larry Norman came around and finally said, why should the devil have all the good music? I'm here to tell you, friends, God did not tell us to disremove ourselves completely from his creation and his culture. He put us here in culture, in creation. Are we to be set apart? Yes. Yes. How do you determine that? Well, be careful how you determine that. And don't let a pastor stand up and tell you what God meant by that. Because what we ended up with was pastors who didn't like the style of the world, but they liked the polyester suits, so apparently God only liked polyester suits. We had pastors who didn't like rock music, so apparently God didn't like rock music. He only liked southern gospel music, which had syncopation. Go ahead, get an amen for Christopher right there. God does not play favorites, and we need to be careful that we don't put words in God's mouth. Oh, be careful, friends. Culture, culture. It's not his creatures. And when I say creatures, I mean people, but P didn't work. I got three C's. Creation, culture, creatures. John 3.16 says, for God so loved, let me do it right, for God so loved the world. What, what he meant there was people. God so loved me. God so loved you that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's John saying we should not love the people. Absolutely not because God loves the people. We should love the people that God loved too. Being a Christian doesn't mean we, we hate creation. Being a Christian doesn't mean we despise all culture. Being a Christian doesn't, mind, doesn't mean that we despise people. No, we love the world when it comes to people. So what does John mean by do not love the world or anything in the world? I believe John is talking about the humanistic rebellion against God that replaces him with idols. He's talking to the church. And I think what he's saying is here, don't let things of this world become idols to you and replace a holy God. Epithumia is the problem. Remember, we talked about this when I spoke uh, about the, uh, oh, what is, the, I can't even remember my series there. What was the title of that? The good and beautiful God, the good and beautiful connection there. I, I, we talked about epithumia. Epithumia is lust. And I believe that John is talking about our hearts are prone to wander from God on the throne and to replace him with idols. Epithumia is a desire that has taken on such weight in your life that it controls you. I think what John is saying is don't love the world. Don't let the world and the things of this world control you. Don't let it become God for you. See, it's idolatry that John is talking about. When you love something more than God, depend on something more than God, obey something more than God. We're really talking about who is on the throne. And as a believer, we can't let the things of this world own us. It's a gift from God. His creation is certainly a beautiful gift, but we can twist it and we can love the world so much that we neglect the church. We can love creation so much and say, well, I, I connect with God out in the woods when I'm hunting and we never come to gather or we never gather with other believers and grow with them. 
that would be putting creation as an idol. And that's when a good thing goes bad. Culture. We can definitely love the things of this world so much that when God says a certain thing in culture is wrong, that we say, I don't care, but I like it so much. That's when we remove God and we put an idol on the throne. And that's when something good then gets twisted and becomes something bad. People can definitely become an idol in your life. Oh, we're to love the world, but when you take people, put them on the throne instead of God, then we're worshiping idols. Oh, let's be careful not to take the good thing God gives us, his good gifts of creation, the culture, and the people around us. Let's not take the good things and twist it and make them bad. When a good thing becomes a God thing, it turns into a bad thing. hope you're taking notes today. When a good thing becomes a God thing, small g, and turns into a bad thing. These are hard things to teach. Not as easy as just looking at it as words and saying it's obviously this is what it means. No, I believe John is talking about the humanistic against God, replacing him with idols. There's another verse right behind it. This is where John meets it out. What is the world he's talking about? He says in 1 John 2, 60, For everything in the world, the cravings of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now John has defined it. He's talking about the bad things. It's a bad thing when we have the cravings of the body that rule us. Oh, we all face cravings of the body. But the Bible tells us to learn to control yourself. Uh, We're told to beat your body into subjection. Don't let your body rule you, but rule over your body. Cravings are natural. Friends, there's nothing wrong with food. God's given to us to enjoy, but it can be twisted and becomes gluttony. There's nothing wrong with sex. It is what God gave us as a good gift, but it obviously can be twisted. The good things can become bad things when we make them idols. John is trying to tell us as believers, keep God on the throne. Don't replace him. Jesus talked about this. Do you remember the temptation? When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he was tempted with bread after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and not eating anything. The devil came to him and tempted him with bread. Tell these stones to turn into bread. What did Jesus say in Luke 4? 4, Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus was saying, I will not consume this. Well, the tempter comes and he wants to use the natural cravings of your body that God gave you, but to twist them and to make them God. He wants to remove God from the throne and we must not let that happen. And so Jesus said, I will not consume this. Is there anything wrong with bread? Absolutely not. But when Satan is tempting Jesus to do something against God, Jesus says, I won't. The second time Satan comes to him, he comes to him underneath the second of these that John mentioned, and that's the lust of the eyes. When we see something and want something. Well, Satan came to Jesus, and he told him to look out over all the nation and see what was there and what was offered. And Satan said, I will give you the throne. You see this? Covet this. You want this, Jesus. And Jesus says, I will not covet this. In Luke 4, 8, he responded, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, Jesus was wise to this serpent, this deceiver coming to tempt him. He said, I won't consume this. It's not time. I won't covet this. It's not mine to have yet. 
See, Jesus wasn't going to fall for this. He, he was in charge of his own body. He learned to control himself. He was without sin. So Jesus didn't fall for these temptations of the cravings of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and finally, the pride of life. Oh, this is where Satan comes to Jesus, takes him to the highest point of uh, the buildings, the highest point of the temple. And Satan says, go ahead, throw yourself off because you know. And then Satan quotes scripture. That's scary. Don't use scripture wrong, people. Satan quoted scripture and said, certainly you will not dash your head on the stone for the angels will burst out of heaven and protect you. And Jesus says, I will not show conceit. He says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Satan, I am God. And I won't fall for your tricks. I don't have to throw myself off this temple so that the clouds burst open and the angels swoop down and everybody says, woo, look at him. That's why we're so thankful today that Don Jackson is not Jesus. Because that would be pretty cool. I'm telling you, I'm scared to death of heights. Heights scare me. Why? Because I know if I fall, I bounce. Jesus must not have been afraid of heights because he knew that if he fell, he would be swooped up by angels. That wasn't how he was going to die. The angels would come and protect him. How cool would that be? If Don Jackson was Jesus, I'd said, oh yeah, I believe I can fly. I'd have taken a, a little leap and done a backflip or a front flip because I knew that the angels would burst forth and oh, pick me up and put me back safely. And I'd say, see, oh, see, that's the pride of life. The pride of life says, look at me. What is John talking about? He's not talking about creation. He's not talking about culture. He's not talking about creatures. He's talking about the principles of this world that replace a holy God with stuff. And it's so easy to do in your life and my life. The cravings of the flesh lead us that way. The lust of our eyes lead us that way. Pride within us swells up. All these things lead us to take God off the throne. And what we're really doing is putting myself on that throne. My desires come first. Oh, we won't obey. We won't honor. We won't do any of these things that God teaches us in Scripture because we know best. We want what we want for ourselves. Don't hold me back. Give it to me now. And that is what John is talking about is of this world. It's all the stuff of this world. In nutshell, what John is teaching, number one, I love the Father when I remove my idolatrous love of the world. Epimathia. It's when we don't lust and crave after the things that just bring us comfort and, and replace God with things and stuff. Oh, when we remove those things, our love for the Father is real. I love how John says it. His, his wording is so good. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. I love how he just does a comma. Love for the Father is not in them. You see, you can't have both loves. I've shared with you this before. My wife would not be happy if I told her, Honey, I love you more than any of my other girlfriends. I put you right here. I love you this much, and all my other girlfriends I love this much. This is not what we're talking about. John is saying, do not love the world or anything in the world. Love for the Father is not in them. It's love God or love self. What is the opposite of love? Selfishness, not hate. Remember, I tell you these things over and over again. 
The opposite of love is selfishness. And so you can't have selfishness and love for God at the same time. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and, and we've got to die to self daily. Why? Because if we're not dying to self, we don't love God. So John says, don't replace him. Love God. Love God. The beautiful thing is that if you can love God with everything you've got, your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, you can enjoy his creation. You can live in a culture. And you can love people, even if they're not like us. Ah, friends, we love the Father when we remove idolatrous love, the world. Number two, I love the Father when I overcome the world by embracing the love of the Father. Oh, in Romans, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21, I believe it is. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word there is Nike, Nikao, victory. Do not be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with good. We are overcomers, friends. I love the Father when I have victory over this world, when it doesn't own me. That's when I love the Father. The third thing is I love the Father when I stop lusting the world and truly love the world. Again, understanding the use of two different meanings for the same word, world. We need to stop lusting after the things that we have here and absolutely love the people that God loves too. God didn't call us to hate sinners. He didn't call us to come here and be so holy and pious that we're no earthly good. He called us to be separate from this world and live a holy life with the love of the Father. And yet we're here in his creation, in a culture, with people. My friends, I am challenging you today to be people of the word and to study the word to go deep enough into the word that we we understand what is being taught and we don't just take the first reading or face value but we search it to be true the bible says study to show yourself approved unto god a workman that needeth not be ashamed so we look into god's word and we try to understand what is said do not love the world or anything in this world love the father i didn't read two verses that were in here in 1 John 5, 20, 21, I close with this. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. That's what John is talking about. And he tells us just a little bit later. This is what he means by the world. Simple, keep yourself from idols. Who's on the throne of your life? Tell me, who do you love? There's a song, and I, I searched it last night on Google. I could not find I thought it was DeGarmo and Key. I loved Eddie DeGarmo and Dana Key. I got to meet them, and uh, Dana Key actually was the great-great-grandson uh, of uh, Key, the one that wrote... Um, the national song. I don't even know what that is. But uh, DeGarmo and Key, my favorite Christian group, and I believe that they sang this song even though I couldn't find it. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Where your heart is, the whole world will see. Where your heart is, your treasure always grows. Where your heart is, Give credit to whoever wrote it, whoever sang it. 
where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Where your heart is, your treasure always grows. The question that I bring to you today is, are you loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength? Is He on the throne? If anything else takes His place, remove it. Place God on the throne. Give Him due honor and glory in your life. Love Him with everything you've got. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray you'd help us understand these words and live it out. God, we'd learn that you're a God who wants us to be sure. You don't hold us uh, in regard in the way that we would be fearful, not knowing that we have security in you. You want us to know. And so therefore, you've, you've told us we can know by having relationship with you that we are guided by the Father. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. And God, help us to be discerning of us if it's your voice. We also learn that we have a relationship with sin, that we've got to deny sin. We've got to say no. And we also learn today that we have surety when we love the Father. So God, I pray we would have surety in our lives by living these things out. In Jesus' name, amen.